0: tenata te farofai ci lume te karana o te nei kaupapa <laughs> hoho ne kei moe te tata rara 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 i te kau a ko ki mai a ki te tanga o te nei kaupapa hoho nei a noreira a ahakoa ko mutukei ana me me i roto te te fare ra kia koito I stand here as Ngātie Awa, and it's mainly in my Ngātie role that I'll make my observations and reflections about uh, war and conflict. As I said, my issues are about personal reflections, and I want to do three things, really. I want to address the issue of why we commemorate war, how we commemorate war, and then bring it down to the issue of the New Zealand wars. Uh, And my preference is to actually be much broader than that, and I'll explain to you why I'm I'm going to do that. And the reason I want to contextualise the issues of war and conflict and why we remember war and how we remember war is because war is an extraordinarily complex issue. Uh, it It is hugely divisive, it is potentially hugely destructive, and it disrupts entire societies and entire fabric, fabrics of societies, which is why we have to address these things uh, in, in its much broader scope. Secondly, as I've said, others of the speakers that follow me will, sp- will focus on specific elements of the broader issues of war. But before I do that, let me just turn to the recent commemoration of the centenary of Passchendaele, uh, which was commemorated on the 12th of October and it was the the worst day of New Zealand's military history for the loss of life and uh, and the seriously wounded over about 900 New Zealanders were killed or seriously wounded on that one day I'd have to say if you put it in the context of uh, the Urupa that you see there uh, the British the French uh, lost tens of thousands of men killed or seriously wounded on the first days of the attacks in Passchendaele, in Ypres, and the other ghastly wars of uh, the Western Front. And, but nevertheless, we as New Zealanders commemorated uh, the, our losses on the 12th. And one of the interesting things about the Passchendaele uh, commemoration is this. And I think it kind of signals a transition within our society about the role of Māori (coughs) in war and about the role of Māori in the fabric of our society. So we had our soldiers huckering, not only Māori soldiers, by the way, but Pākehā soldiers as well. We had a wakatoa, and I think it reflects the incorporation of tikanga and āhutanga Māori within the defence forces of our country. Now when Sir Charles Bennett died, uh, the, he was the last surviving commander of the 28th Māori Battalion. When he died and his tangi, after his tangi in Rotorua, the Defence Forces changed the symbol of the Defence Forces uh, instead, and they inserted a Tayaha in the symbol of the Defence Forces to reflect the relationship of Māori and Pākehā soldiers and particularly to acknowledge uh, Charles Bennett and the role that he played as a commander of the Māori Battalion but also in his role as a High Commissioner and as the first Māori president of the Labour Party and the many other roles that he held within society. The irony for us as Māori is that the defence forces are about three steps ahead of the rest of society. That is, whenever a haka is done now, the entire assembly of soldiers does the haka. I was talking to um, uh, John this morning And we remembered our days in Malaya, Tarenda, Vietnam. We never had karakia beginning and end. We very seldom had karakia. We very seldom had haka. And to a certain extent, Maori soldiers merged into the mainstream of soldiery. Nowadays, we seem to see that shifting uh, 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 as well. And I think that's something that will uh, be reflected upon as we address the issue of where do the New Zealand wars fit within our history, within our society, and certainly in the future, how we deal with it. So why do we commemorate wars? Well, the first one is the victor, that's the person who wins, always wants to go, yes. You know, when you win something, whether it's Lotto or Housie, Housie probably more normally, you, you know, you go, yes. So you want to actually celebrate your victory. And perhaps the most significant battle of the second world war which paved the way for the landings in Normandy was the battle for Stalingrad which occurred between June of 1942 and February of 1943 and it was fought around the city of Stalingrad and particularly around the tire factory which was a massive factory in the center of the city. Nearly two million soldiers and civilians were killed in that battle alone. About 800,000 Germans and Austrians were killed and about 1.2 million Russians were killed at the battle for Stalingrad. At the end of the battle in February of 1943, the Russians collected a quarter of a million German bodies from around the battlefield. So when you think of that kind of scale, it's almost unthinkable that we should do that to ourselves. But if that had not have happened, then it would have made much more difficult the D-Day landings on Normandy because the Germans had to shift from the Western Front to the Russian Front, many of the army groups, and they were chewed up in the Russian Front, which then diminished the capacity of the German army to withstand and hold off against the Allies in France, uh, in Italy, and other places. So that's the first reason, and the Russians rightly see this as the battle of World War II, and I agree with them. The other um, reason that we commemorate war is that we have to remember the sacrifices by remembering, by underlying the fact that war is about people dying and people going missing. The third reason we look to commemorate war is that we make virtues out of military disasters. So politicians, by and large, do not want to admit that the war that they committed thousands of their troops into uh, was something, was a waste of lives. So the, the Gallipoli landing uh, was a disaster, or the Gallipoli campaign was a disaster. About 100,000 Turks were killed and about thirty to 40,000 allied troops, Australians, New Zealanders, Brits and French were killed as well. So it was a disaster. And so the politicians in Australia and New Zealand created this kind of Anzac tradition and legend in that we formed ourselves in the crucible of war into the Anzac legend and that each of us as governments uh, in our own countries, small governments in the beginning of the 20th century, were creating for ourselves uh, uh, an independence that we would eventually move away from the British Empire. So that's what another reason that wars are commemorated. Commemorations as well also go to the heart of the continuity of the history of a nation. And you want to remind yourself by symbols of what that nation did and the sacrifices that it made. And essentially what the Australians are doing is they want to take a kilo of of earth or soil from the battlefields of Oraco and Taranga at Tauranga and they've got this big memorial in New South Wales and it has the soil from every battlefield that Australians have fought on. And in 1866 and 1867, two regiments, uh, the 2nd and 4th regiments, Waikato regiments, were formed mainly from soldiers or men who came from New South Wales and from Australia. So that kopapa enables the continuity of history and tradition to continue because in this memorial there will be the dirt or the soil from the battlefields of New Zealand. So that's another reason that we commemorate war. We also commemorate war uh, to enshrine the eternal memory of some spectacular military feat. So in 480 BC, Leonidas, the Spartan, and 300 of his warriors uh, defended at Thermopylae a gap between the hills and the sea against upwards of 300,000 Persians under the command of King Xerxes. Uh, the initial start of the battle there were 7,000 Greeks uh, and there were about 300,000 uh, Persians. The Greeks blocked this narrow pass and the Persians couldn't get through. They lost thousands on day one, day two and day three. And then a Greek uh, traitor went across to the Persians and showed them a backtrack around the hills to enable the Persians to cut off their Greek forces. Uh, when Leonidas found that out, <coughs> he sent the bulk of his force back to Athens and he kept the 300 Spartans with him. And they defended that pass till they all died. So, that kind of uh, event, uh, more than two and a half thousand years ago, enshrined in the minds of the Greeks the heroic legends and the hero- heroism and courage that the Spartans were known for. But it also signalled the rise of the, of the, the Greek. the the Greek of antiquities that led to the development of literature, poetry, law, and the the founding of the democracy that we know as Western democracy right now. And that came out of this event at Thermopylae in 480 BC. So we commemorate wars because they are such huge, significant events of our history. And finally, we commemorate wars for the ugliness of wars, and, and this is the Holocaust. Never, never, never again should we go to war and do the things that the Nazis did to the Jewish population. And uh, largely, uh, and that's why the Jews particularly, is, it's indelibly etched in their memories. They will never forget it. Most civilized societies will never forget it. Germans will never forget it. So those are the reasons why we think about war and why we remember and commemorate it. So how do we commemorate it? And there are a number of ways that we can do that. First of all, the victors particularly build big monuments. And these monuments are set in scenes of serenity and calmness and peace, which is exactly the opposite to the trauma, the disruption, and the hugely and massively destructive force of war, where you see millions of people involved, we see millions of people who die, and many soldiers who are killed in action and are never, ever, your graves are never found. So if you go to the Urupa in, in Crete, um, many of the men who died in Crete uh, were never, ever identified. The bodies were found and relocated to the Suda Bay Cemetery, but the names of the Māori soldiers and officers, are, are most of them, Uh, were never, ever uh, verified. So in Athens, in in the Phaleron Cemetery in Athens, is a long list of names of all the soldiers that were killed. And so we have to kind of find a way in a society to remember them. Now, people who lose wars generally don't have big monuments. So after the First World War, uh, the Allies had massive monuments and the Germans had little monuments. And when Hitler, Hitler rose... One of the one of the issues that Hitler changed was the nature of remembering the First World War. He changed the the the, um, the language. He changed the approach, and they built big monuments to the sacrifices of World War uh, One. So these things are political issues by and large. So we have national monuments down in Fakatania. You'll know at the rock there, the bus shelter. Um, when I was a kid, we used to wait. Waiting there for the bus to take us back to Te or wherever we were going, and very, I, you know, to be honest with you, I never ever looked at the names on the front of the bus shelter. But those names are, are of the soldiers who, who gave their lives and were, Maori soldiers who gave their lives in World War One. And this gate is at uh, uh, whatever It memorialises the <coughs> names of Wahiao and Tuherangi soldiers who died in World War One, and added to that are the names of those who have died in World War Two. So we have local monuments. <clears throat> and we have national days at which we remember war. We've only got two uh, in our calendar, and the first is Anzac Day the 25th every year, and then there's the uh, Remembrance Day uh, on the 11th of November, which signifies the 11th minute of the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, of, uh, the, at, at the end of World War One, um, there's been a debate about a number three. That is, how do we commemorate the Māori Wars? Uh, there are some who say, why would we uh, commemorate a day with everybody else when it's special to us? Just as in Fakatani, we um, commemorate the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi on the 16th of June, because that's when we signed the treaty, or well, that's when you fellows at uh, Pukeko signed it for us, John. <laughs> you didn't send a, 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 an email to Te to, to say that your fellas were signing the treaty. <laughs> so Fukatana ki tai, signed the treaty. Ngātia Kyuta we didn't. Nor did our relations up the valley there. So there's a question mark about whether we should have a, a, a specific day to remember the New Zealand wars. So that's a, a, an open question. Literature... <clears throat> is also literature and poetry are a means by which war is memorialised and, and uh, you're going to hear from Vincent O'Mallory who uh, is really, will talk to you about about his uh, writing of the Waikato um, Wars and the, the situation that Waikato found itself in uh, how it fought the war and more importantly how it came out of the war and emerged into the current uh, time. Each generation... We have a kind of revision of history, and that comes about because of new evidence, and it also comes about because of the changing attitudes of our populations. And so uh, we had um, Michael King, uh, we had Jamie Balish, Anne Salmond, and now Vincent O'Mallory, who all are kind of revising history uh, on the basis of new attitudes and new thinking and new evidence. And that's another way that we are able to enshrine um, our participation in war in in, in a tangible way. Another way, which we like doing, by the way, which seems to me we like doing, is hikois. And again, that's us in Suda Bay. Uh, Eddie Matchett, that some of you will know him, and his mokopuna ravata, reading the ode in Māori and English. Uh, Mrs Pook at the back there is the principal, and I'm taking the photo. Um, But in 1972, a group of Māori veterans from the 28th Māori Battalion were invited to to Mainz in Germany, where the Africa Corps, who fought against the New Zealand Division in North Africa uh, and were beaten by the Allies in North Africa, largely, I think, through the efforts of the 2nd New Zealand Division and and, and particularly the 28th Māori Battalion, invited uh, a group of Māori to come to their reunion. And we, Huata, gave the karakia, and he gave the coho at that huge, um, huge, huge uh, hui, a reunion. And it, it kind of signifies um, that wars are about politicians. Soldiers fight wars and are deployed to wars by politicians. They don't necessarily hate the hoariri, they don't necessarily hate the enemy, but they fight the enemy because it's, if you don't fight them and shoot them first, they're likely to shoot you. So it's, it's kind of like a professional... Exchange, and so the Africa Corps always had a, um, a abiding respect for the New Zealand Division and a particular uh, respect for the 28th Māori Battalion. The Germans knew that whenever the New Zealand Division was opposite their lines, that they could expect a night attack, and they could expect bayonet attacks. Very few, if any, other than the British or the Allied troops attacked at night, but the New Zealanders did, and and they, as soon as uh, an operation was underway at night, if the Germans didn't know who it was, they'd say, those are the New Zealanders coming at us. So there was this kind of attitude which prevailed, which led to that review. The largest hikoi was in 1960, 76 77 when about 600 veterans, families and friends went on a hikoi across the world. And when you think about this, this is quite a remarkable... Uh, uh, feet because people had to raise money, had to get leave from work, uh, had to prepare themselves and had to go through this very emotional um, hikoi uh, to go with their tip on us to the wars that they fought and probably the only time that most of them would have heard about what their grandfather or their father or their uncles did. Because we know, those of us who are old enough, that when they came home, he the katoa, almost of rata. They didn't want to talk about the war. They would only talk about the war in the pub, so if you were lucky to be at the RSA and crept up behind a group of 28 Māori Battalion veterans, you could hear what they were talking about. But otherwise, they did not tell you. And I think it's important, if we are to, to, mem- to think about the memory of war, that we understand and know what they're doing. And so Monty uh, Suter's book, Ngā Tour. My book on Ake Ake on B Company and Hutterwood Apeelis' book on D Company are those kinds of ways that we can record that memory and we can pass it on to the next generation. So let me just turn generally in my last few minutes to talk about New Zealand wars. And essentially, um, when I went to do my my Master's degree in, in London, I knew more about Prince Charles and the Cavaliers and the roundheads and uh, Cromwell. Uh, I could... Uh, in fact, I took m- my three kids, who were then six, five, and four or something, and Jeremy will always tell me that the last th- th- the most thing they dreaded all was getting in a car with Dad to go and see a battlefield. So I'd stand at the bottom of the road and I'd point out where the Cavaliers were, where the roundheads were, how many charges there were. So I knew more about the bells of St. Clemens, oranges and lemons... Uh, the battles for uh, royalty in, in the UK and I knew nothing about the Maori the New Zealand wars and so it's that kind of question that lies in um, seminars and symposia of this kind is about how do we address that and i'm hoping some of the solutions will come out of the speakers that follow me but by and large colonial governments had no interest in highlighting the fact that they had actually gone to war to deprive Maori of their land queenatepuitake uh, or te riri, Morata. That's what they went to war for. And so, at uh, recent times, New Zealanders largely ignorant, and particularly don't want to know about it. And yet, in 1866, 1867, around that period, ten imperial regiments of the line were sent to New Zealand. The largest number of imperial troops of the 60s, 1860s, were based here in New Zealand, not in India not in Afghanistan, not in any of the many other uh, hotspots of the world, but here in Aotearoa, the 65th York and Lancs, the 40th, the 18th Royal Irish Regiment. All of those regiments were based here in New Zealand fighting against us. And so that's why I, I, I don't understand why we didn't address it. However, it seems to me that the treaty settlement process the growth of, of uh, iwi entities and the assertiveness, um, the fact that, that iwi are running their own commemorations like Taranga, Oraco and all those kinds of things, uh, petitions and pressure in the last decade has built to an extent that governments finally had to start to cave in to recognize that we had a place and that place had to be recognized in terms of remembering these kinds of events pressure from um, all these other places saw Turudor negotiate uh, with the, the government of the day uh, to get, to start to formally recognise that we needed to celebrate and commemorate the New Zealand wars. Uh, interestingly enough, consultation between the government and Iwi uh, the leaders indicated that the day that should be celebrated was the 28th of October uh, because that's the day that the Declaration of Independence of 30, 1835 was signed. There's an open question on that, and, 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 and again, it's the issue of why would we in Nga want to commemorate on some other day? What we really want to do is to get these kinds of events and bring the communities in to understand what this is all about by education and by a clarification. The interesting thing is, we um, our first action was to look at the name Ra Mo Maharatanga Remembrance Day. We thought that was a bit sort of elusive, and we thought that um, uh, Pakanga in itself was too narrow, so we actually came up, Peter Tipne came up with the Putake o which is the basis of, in a sense, the basis of anger, which includes both war and conflict. Not all conflict ends up in war. So it means that, that if you're a community and there is a conflict between your community and the Crown at this time but you didn't necessarily go to war you're entitled to actually come to our fund and seek some resources to help you explain that to your broader community or whatever you like. So that's what the basis of that is I think we spend uh, tens of millions of dollars on commemorating World War One I. I have a real concern about World War Two and uh, we will tell you that in Crete One of the famous battles of Crete was 42nd Street, where the Māori Battalion led a a banner charge which almost destroyed the leading elements of the 141st uh, Mountain Regiment. And uh, we had two Australian battalions on the right, the 2nd 7th and the 2nd 8th, and we had five New Zealand battalions spread along this road, which is called 42nd Street. They had been fighting for seven days. They were buggered. They had no food. They had no (coughs) water. They had little ammunition. And all up, there would have been about 2,000 of them along this this stretch of of road. The Germans were chasing. They would landed mountain troops onto Malimi airfield, and they were aggressive. They were fit. They were highly trained, and they were going to deal to us. So they came trundling towards us. They got close. Shots opened up the Māori battalion stood up and huckered and charged, and the rest of the New Zealanders got up, the Australians got up, and they all charged and pretty much destroyed uh, 141, all the leading elements of the 141st uh, Mountain Regiment. Uh, Now, here's the point. If you go to 42nd Street now, you'll see a memorial to 42nd Street. It was built and sponsored by the Australians. So my point is that if we do not claim the battlefields that are ours, then someone else will take them away. I'm not saying that we're necessarily celebrating war to that extent, but they were our losses, they were our and energies, and therefore we have to make sure that certain places across the world in World War II, and I can name them, uh, Malemi Airfield, 42nd Street, um, Tobaka Gap, Takruna, Osonya, not so much of some, a casino with B Company and A Company went in. Those are places where New Zealanders carved out an epic reputation for soldiery, for courage and bravery. And for want of a shoe, the horse might be lost. So that's all I'm saying is I think we have to be alert. Um, if we can make that huge investment in World War I, we can make a significant investment in World War II, but more particularly in the end of the wedge that we're doing now... There is no reason why we cannot actually start to invest in New Zealand, to commemorate the battle sites in New Zealand, to create in the battle sites the kind of things that you see in the United States and John in the Vietnam War, the the the, um, the, the wall that they have. Uh, or in the Civil War, all of the Civil War monuments in the United States where they have uh, information, they have um, pedestals and they have interactive stuff all of that is about educating ourselves about ourselves. So, that we use this opportunity as the thin end of the wedge to drive through uh, opportunities to make sure that our collective history, because it's not only our history, it belongs to all of us as New Zealanders, is properly acknowledged and accredited.